starting a new series today that Rustin helped set up last week. Uh, it's a series on relationships. Funny story about the title. I did not give the title to this series, as you can imagine. When I told them I was going to do a series on relationships, uh, they said, well, let's call it, the creative arts people, let's call it relationship hacks. Now, the, the world I grew up in, in the Midwest, if, if, a, if a plumber came to your house and he wasn't very good, or an electrician came to your house and he wasn't very good, you'd say that guy was a hack. That was the way I used that word in the Midwest growing up, and many of you can relate. I didn't know the word had changed. I write about that in my book that words change, and as you get older, it's really hard to keep up with it. So this was new to me, and they looked at me like I was from Mars. They said, well, everybody uses that word now as a hack. It means a help, a tip. You know, it's, a, it's an instructional type of thing, and there's like hundreds of thousands of videos on the internet that are called hacks, you know, that help you with things. And I said, Whatever, go ahead and call it relationship hacks. I, I guess I'm just getting old and I don't get this. So if that helps explain it to some of you, then good. And if not, then, uh, well, it's just not your day. But anyways, <laughs> our chapel, our venue, and uh, our Cactus Campus are gonna join us right now for our time in the Word. And as I always do, let's bow and pray and we'll dive right in. God, our Heavenly Father, it feels good to be in your house with your people here and at Cactus Venue and Chapel as we worship you. And Lord, you, you know my heart every time we gather, and that is that it's just my hope that the worship that we have experienced has now drawn us to you so that our minds are focused, our hearts are tender, and we're ready to hear and absorb your word. So God, would you do that in us now? Lord, may these not be my words in some sort of lecture form to these people. May this be empowered by your spirit as you speak to our hearts individually and collectively as a whole. We'll give you praise for what you say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I think that the start of this series is best summed up by Scott Stixell when he said this years ago. He said, life is relationships, the rest is just details. Uh, some of you don't get that yet. You might want to dial into that, that life is relationships and everything else is just details because it's true. We are made by God, you and I are, to be relational beings relating to him, to each other, even to ourselves. And when you boil it right down, here's the point. The most meaningful times in your life and in my life are in some way connected to relationships. Our wedding day, the birth of a child, a graduation ceremony, a favorite vacation, a special gift, even a decision that you made on a spiritual level, even a funeral. Think of the most meaningful and significant time in your life, the times when you were most moved and touched, and in some way, I'll bet, there was some kind of relational activity going on in and around it. Life is relationships, and the rest are just details. 
And yet here's the flip side of it that makes this such a difficult thing for some of us to want to dive into, and that is that we've also found that relationships are very difficult. Have you found that yet in life? Most of us have. That though relationships are the most meaningful and key part to life, again, whether it's with the Lord or each other or even in ourselves, they also are the source of a lot of conflict, hurt, disappointment, pain, heartache, frustration, irritation, and annoyance. As Mike Iaconelli said when he was alive, they're just messy. And so even as some of us here today are, are contemplating this idea of spending a few weeks on relationships, you're going... Oh, do I really have to? Because you're in the midst of some difficult times in your relationships. And you need to know, I own with you, that they are never easy. My wife, Kim, is here in this service right now. And we've been married 30 years as of this summer. It was an amazing summer for us to celebrate. Yeah, 30 years that we never, uh, well, no, I thought we'd make it, but, you know. And, uh, and, and, and Kim and I have a, a regular degree of arguing or disagreement, and I can just fill you in right now that whenever Kim and I are arguing, it is over the same thing. And that is, and she will attest to this, that on the one hand, she would say that I am controlling. I know it's hard for some of you to picture that, but just go with me in that. She would say, Jamie is being controlling, and I will conversely say to her, well, you're not being very organized. You're being kind of laissez-faire about everything, and come what may. And honestly, that sounds small, but that is the heart of almost every one of our arguments she almost got out of the car driving across the country a couple of years ago in New Mexico because she was sick of me being controlling and I sometimes just don't get it. The other day, this was kind of funny, we were driving down the road, Hayden Road, I remember when it happened, and we were in my 11-year-old car. Now, I drive an 11-year-old car, but it's a nice car. It's made by a company called Barvarian Motor Works, and so it's a very nice, older car, and I keep it up very well. Why? Because I'm controlling, and so I, I, I know my car very well. And we were driving down Hayden, and, and there was this terrible rattle that every time I hit a bump was driving me nuts. And so I said to Kim, do you hear that? She said, I don't hear anything. And I said, no, wait for it. And I took everything quiet and we hit a bump. And I said, there, did you hear that? She goes, yeah, I, I, I heard that. And I said, that's driving me nuts. And, and there was this pregnant pause. And then she said, well, it's not like we're going to go to the dealer and have them look at it. And there was another long pause. And I looked at her. <laughs> And she said, no, we are not taking it to the dealer and spending hundreds of dollars for you to get to the source of this rattle. And, and I'm a smart guy, and I thought, well, I'm not pushing it. So we, we got home, and that next morning, I got up, and I was doing my thing. I, I always check stuff on the computer, bank accounts, other things, and I was doing my morning routine, and I thought, you know, I, I want to check out this rattle. So I got about five or six hot buttons on my, my internet browser, all to the forums for BMW. And so I went to the forums and I typed in rattle under the dash. Now, all I can say is that there must be a lot of high control people out there because there was a lot of people who had been writing about rattles. And there was this one guy, I love him, who said, I had a rattle under the dash and, 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 and I dug down to try to find it and I found it. It was in the right vent and it was the linkage and it was rattling and I fixed it. And he included a picture of what he did to find it. Look up here on the screen. Yeah. 
ah, this is my kind of guy right here. So he rips apart the entire dash of his BMW, the steering wheel, everything. He codes it and tags it. And you can see he put in a red circle there where he found the rattle. This is a true story. I I was so impressed with that that I I printed it off in color in my home office. Kim was still in bed. I ran in and woke her up and said, see, there are people just as crazy as me out there. And she said, yes, I know that. (laughs) That's a funny story. We have arguments probably too often that are not funny. It's one of the things that Kim and I work through. It's probably more my fault than hers. I admit that in my humble moments because it's not easy living with a high control guy, but relationships are hard and yet we all need them. And so we thought it'd be a great idea as we head into our very busy and hectic fall here at our church to spend uh, just a few weeks, just three weeks, on this idea of relationships. And I'm going to make it very easy for all of us. And that is, I'm not, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, I'm a pastor. And so we're going to take an in-depth look at a few Bible passages that talk to us about the basics of relationships. I mean, this is going to be so simple for some of you, but hopefully very profound because this is God's word, but it might help write some of the relationships that have gotten a little bit off kilter in your life. We're going to look at the issue of intentionality and then next week of listening and then in the following week of speaking. Could we get more basic than that? Being intentional, learning how to listen, learning how to speak. Here's the deal. A lot of us think we have mastered that but maybe we have some things to learn. I know I do. I've been at this for a long time. My, my relationships, I think, are fairly healthy, but I know that there's a lot more work I could do to make them even better. And so we're going to begin today with this issue called intentionality. And here's your main point today. This will maybe help clarify what I mean by intentionality. And this is the only thing I want you to remember today, and that is that the best relationships in your life happen on purpose. Did you know that? Uh, The best relationships happen on purpose. You're saying, why is that important? Well, there's a myth going on in culture today. It's propagated by Hallmark movies. It's propagated by romance novels. It's propagated by barroom conversations. And you've all heard this, that we kind of fall into and then fall out of love. And we get the idea that relationships just happen. And if they don't happen to you, then just wait. It's coming down the pike. And that relationships seem to happen on accident. But what you need to know is that the Bible's going to take that one on. The best evidence of social science is going to take that one on and tell us that relationships that go deep and touch the soul almost always do so because one or more people take responsibility, add initiative, and in multiple ways move intentionally toward another person. And the reason that this is going to be relevant for you today, Cactus Venue and Chapel, for you guys as well, is because there might be a relationship you're thinking about that needs some work. And maybe there's some conflict, some tension, or just maybe in your marriage it's gotten stale. And the number one thing you're going to hear God say to you today is, take some initiative. Take some intentionality, because that's what it's going to take to get you over the hump. 
This really is what the Bible tells us. Here's our theme verse for today, Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. We're going to park in front of this for the remainder of our time today. And this is what it says. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, as you guys know, I always interpret scripture or read scripture in light of its context. And the book of Ephesians chapter 5 is talking generally about our horizontal uh, organic relationships with each other. It's going to go on to talk about marriage here in the next few passages after this. And so in Ephesians 5 here, when it says, be careful how you walk, make it not as wise, unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, the context actually fits our relational lives. That's what it's talking about here. And contained in here is a recipe for relational intentionality. So on our time remaining, we have about 28 minutes left, notice with me three key things that this tells us we can be intentional about if we ever want to have the kind of husband and wife intimacy or parent-child trust or grandparent-to-grandchild openness or friend-to-friend companionship or even believer-to-believer fellowship, three kinds of intentionality that are a must. And the first one you want to notice here is the intentionality of time. The intentionality of time. Look at how Ephesians 5 verse 16 tells us this. It says, make the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. There's actually a fascinating phrase in the original Greek that Ephesians was written in. The phrase literally means an occasion an opportunity within a season. So it connotes a, a period of time that you have in your life, and we have those all the time, and what the Bible is saying here is that within that period of time, you have an opportunity to do something spiritual, relational, powerful, special. That's what it means when it says make the best use of the time. Don't squander it. You're given a season of time here. Now make the best of it because you have opportunities within it. And so in a very real way, gang, don't miss this. It's saying be very intentional with the time you've been given. Realize that time is a very precious commodity and it's very powerful when you choose to use it on something or better yet, someone. And so be very intentional with it. And obviously the question comes in at this point, what does it mean to make the best use of the time? And though I can prove this from other scriptures in the Bible, just suffice it to say for now that what the Bible seems to affirm, and Jesus is going to show us this in technicolor in a minute here, is that if you want to make the best use of the time in your life, you need to do so by these two principles, the principle of prioritization and the principle of quantity. The principle of prioritizing the things that matter to you, and then the principle of giving quantity of yourself and your time to the things or the people that you want to priority. That's how you become intentional with your time. And I just hinted to the fact that we get this from the very life of Jesus our Savior. I want you to think about Jesus's life right now. This will not be boring to some of you. This will be very enlightening. As many of us know who have been Christians for a while, Jesus was and is the eternal second person of the Trinity who existed for all of eternity. And then 2,000 years ago, he came down to this earth. 
And if you ever ask somebody, why did Jesus come to this earth? Most people in culture today don't know. They know who Jesus was, that he was a very special holy man. They might even be able to say the second person of the Trinity. But why did he come to earth? Here's why. He came to reveal himself as the son of God and even the son of man. And he did so by performing lots of miracles throughout the Holy Land, teaching people all about the kingdom of God, and then eventually dying on a wooden cross as a substitute for the sins of the whole world. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And he only lived for 33 years, and he only had three active years of ministry. So do the math. Lots of miracles that are recorded, tons of teaching to help us understand God, going to the cross as a substitute for our sins. Can we all agree, give me a head nod, that Jesus lived a very busy, jam-packed life? Give me a head nod that you understand that. Some of you think you're busy. Read the Gospels. Jesus was busier. And yet, given all of this... Here's the point. When it came to his closest relationships, Jesus gave plenty of quantity time to them and he prioritized them over and over again, even against all the people demands on his time. This is a pattern in scripture you don't want to miss. A lot of Christians miss this one because it's so simple, but it's right in front of us. I want you to think of all the people demands on Jesus. When you read the Gospels, here's the picture you get. Crowds are pushing in. Thousands are following him everywhere he went. People are cutting holes in roofs to get a sick guy in front of him. People are clawing just to touch the hem of his garment. Thousands run around a lake to get where Jesus is boating on the other side. Wealthy and successful people are sending emissaries and servants to have Jesus come to their home for a miracle or two. I mean, if this happened today, the E-Channel would be going nuts over all of this. This is celebrity status in the first century, and Jesus is smack dab in the middle of it. And yet, when you look closely at the Gospels, the picture they paint is not of a busy celebrity Jesus, but of a man who ruthlessly prioritizes and gives quantity time to his most important relationships. Let me show you what I mean. We're gonna whip through these kind of fast. I'm gonna stay at the monitor this time, guys. Uh, So in Mark 3, verse seven, when Jesus is just starting out, it says, and Jesus withdrew, now here it is, with his disciples to the sea. So he gets away and gets alone with them. And some of you are thinking, well, okay, so he did that once in a while. Uh, look at what else it says in the scriptures. In John 3, again, early on in Jesus' ministry, it says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them, spending quality or quantity and prioritizing time with them. And then as Jesus goes along in his ministry, it says in Luke 9, 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So once again, he's getting alone. And then notice this verse in Matthew 17, verse one, this famous transfiguration event. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up high in a mountain. Here it is, by themselves. And then as Jesus gets down to uh, going into Jerusalem for the very last uh, week of his life, it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went away from there to the region near the wilderness. And there he stayed with the disciples. 
And then as he's in the very last week of his life going up to Jerusalem, it says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And then one last verse, he's in Jerusalem now, the very last week of his life, and it says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, and he took with him Peter and James and John. Guys, here's what I need you to see. There's a pattern being developed here of Jesus in the midst of a very busy life and ministry, and yet over and over and over again, he gets away to quiet places, not alone, but with his disciples to do key relational work with them. And there's a pattern, obviously, for you and I in that. There's something in there for us. And that is that if we're ever going to have the kind of relationships that go deep, whether it be with our spouse, our kids, our grandkids, the folks in our small group at church, friends, coworkers, you name it, it will only be because we debunk the ridiculous myths going on in culture today that one, that say relationships just happen by accident. They don't. They take intentionality. But even worse, and you've all heard this, people who say or believe in culture that I can spend quality time with those that I love, but I don't have to spend quantity time with them. Here's the deal about that one, guys, and this is the hardest thing I'll say today. So if you don't like it when I get this way, we'll get beyond this right now. But these are lies, propagated by an overly busy, relationally shallow society. They are people that want to live crazy, busy, out of control lives, which is what most Americans do, and they want to have relational quality at the same time. It cannot be done. If you're going to have relationality that means something with those that you love, it's going to be because you're intentional about it and you're intentional with your time and you do so with lots of priority and even with lots of focus as we're going to see in just a minute here. Uh, Kim, would you hand me my my phone there right now? Uh, I forgot to bring it up here. And uh, I I hope you're not going to mind what I'm about to do, but I'm going to share a uh, text that you sent me earlier this week. Can I share that text with them? Yes or no? Okay, good. She said yes. And uh, because this really proves the point, and it was incredibly uh, precious to me. And and, and I was, uh, I, when did I get this text? It was on Thursday, and uh, I was starting to get ready for the sermon and other stuff like that, and I had a few appointments out and about, and uh, I, I was just uh, heading to a lunch appointment, and, and all of a sudden my phone goes off, and it's my, my dear wife, and this is what she says, and I'll never erase this text. She says, I know this is needy, but I really miss you today. I love hanging out with you. I get with a million other people, but I just want you. Love you tons. And I got to tell you, when I got that, I, I, I could hardly go to my lunch appointment. <laughs> I, I did because I wasn't going to blow somebody off and say, oh, by the way, my wife needs me, you know, and I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but I couldn't wait to get home. And when I got home, I didn't walk in the home like I usually would and, and say to Kim, I got to go on my sermon. The outline's due. I'll see you later, honey. I walked right up to her and I hugged her and I kissed her and I said, I love you back. And I said then, and this is the key, I said, let's spend some time together right now. But why did I do that? I wasn't trying to woodenly apply the principle that we're learning here today. That's not what that was about. But I know that if this woman wants to be with me, I'm going to take every opportunity I can at that one. 
Imagine if this was your grandchild. Imagine if it was your kid. Imagine if it's a person in your small group you want to get closer to. You see, we can make the most of our time. We have opportunities every day, but they're going to happen. We have to jump on them. And all I can tell you is that when you do, when you live by priority and quantity time, you're going to start to go deep. You're going to start uh, to, to develop the kind of relationships that mean something. Now, we're quickly running out of time. I, I have to get us out of here on time for the next service. So uh, more quickly, let me share with you two other kinds of intentionality that the Bible talks about. And the second one starts to accelerate us. So believe it or not, the, what we just talked about was more easy than this first one. And that's what I call the intentionality of focus. Uh, the intentionality of focus. And so here's the deal with this one. Just dial into this. Uh, time intentionality, what we just looked at, will cause you if you decide to do it, to show up and to stay a while in a relationship. It's exactly what happened to me Thursday. That when Kim sent me that text, I prioritized her and intentionality of time, and it caused me to show up at home and to stay a while. That's how that first principle works. However, it's the intentionality of focus and only the intentionality of focus that will cause you to begin to connect more deeply when you are now with another. Let me show you what I mean. Following our theme verse again, notice what it says in verse 515. This is so rich. It says, look carefully then, here it is, how you walk. You know, sometimes the Bible uses such simple word pictures, we just blow by them and don't park in front of them and understand what it's really trying to say here. And what this is saying here, this is an analogy, obviously, from a physical thing to our relational lives. It's saying, look carefully then how you walk. And here's what it's saying. And this is true, especially as you get older, that as you're walking down the road, whether you know it or not, you're probably looking somewhat carefully at how you walk. Give me a head nod that you understand that. You're not walking with your eyes closed. You're walking and you're looking for obstacles. You're making sure that you're heading toward the direction that you're going in, not veering to the right or the left. Just suffice it to say that you're being careful how you walk. The opposite of this would be somebody who's not careful how they walk. You ever met somebody like that? And they trip all over the place. They run into stools. They hit doors. Again, especially as you get older, it's harder to monitor those things. And so what the Bible is saying here is just like how you and your physical life are being careful how, wouldn't it have been funny if I just trip right there, was careful how you walk, apply the same thing in your relational life and be careful there as well. And you're saying, well, what does that mean? This word phrase, be careful how you walk, literally means to tread around and as you do so to be occupied with monitoring how you're treading. We just saw that, to tread around and be occupied with how you're treading. So could it be that what it's saying relationally, now watch this, is that when you and I are in relationship with other people, we need to be laser beam focused on that relationship in the moment so that we can monitor how we're doing, how they're doing, how the interaction is doing. We're being careful how we walk. And if you're not getting it yet, this will blow you away. I think what the passage is really getting at is this, is telling us that you need to be present with others when you are present with them.
How many times have you been with another person, say your wife or your husband, somebody you really love and that you enjoy being with them, but you're preoccupied with something else and they know it? Has that ever happened to you? Raise your hand if it has. Almost every one of us. You know, I, okay, I'll pick on Frank and Carol because they're laughing here. And so, you know, Frank will come in and he'll start talking to Carol and, and, and the conversation goes well for about 30 seconds and all of a sudden Carol goes, hey, Frank, Frank, where are you right now? Because you're not here even though you're here. This happens to all of us. And the reason is, is because we're not present when we're present. We're physically present, but we're not relationally present. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges with this intentionality of focus for all of us to learn to be fully present in the moment when it comes to the relationships that we have. And boy, is this a hard one for some of us. I kind of mentioned just earlier that I tend to be pretty good at the intentionality of time. Do you know why I'm good at that? Because I'm a controller. See, Kim? And uh, so I'm very good at the, the time thing. But Kim would tell you that because I tend to multitask way too much, and this is terrible, I'm, I'm confessing this, that I'm rarely present when I'm present. I, I mean, I, I, like some of you, I, I can do multiple things at once, and that's a curse. Do we all understand that? Some of you brag about that. You go, I'm really good at multitasking. Guess what? Heaven is going to be revealed. That's not a good thing. Because God wants you to be fully present in the moment when you're with the loved ones in front of you. And if you can't be that way, if you're not that way, I can promise you right now, you're not going to have the meaningful relationships you're looking for. It's one of my most difficult things, especially as a pastor of a large church in my relationships. I am constantly thinking of two or three things at once. It's one of the beautiful things I love about my wife, Kim. I'm glad she's here today because she is one of the most single-focused people I have ever met. I mean, when she's in the moment with you, she's in the moment with you. In fact, she hates it when the kids or somebody will say something to her when she's like reading a book or, or on the phone with somebody and they try to say, hey, mom, mom. I mean, it just drives her crazy because she is not going to take her focus off of what she's on. And though some people would say, well, she's just not good at multitasking. What did I just say? No, 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 no. See, that's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to be focused in the moment. I want you to show you a quick example again from the life of Jesus, because I think Jesus is obviously the one who shows us how relationships really need to happen. This is a story that many Christians just gloss over, partly because they don't understand it. Look at what it says. It says in Mark 8, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him, Jesus, a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Uh, go back one slide. Uh, you know, I, a lot of Christians gloss over this and they have no idea how to really explain this, this miracle to those that might not know much about the Bible because it does seem confusing. I, I think all of this is about the intentionality of focus that Jesus is, is modeling here for us. I, I mean, notice they're in Bethsaida. They're in the, the busy commercial city center and these people bring Jesus a blind man and want him to heal him. They say, just touch him because he'll be healed. And so what does Jesus do? Isn't this fascinating? He grabs, picture it, he grabs the guy by the hand. That's not what they asked him to do. <laughs> he grabs him by the hand, he says, let's go. 
And he walks all through the commercial, busy city center. I mean, like just walking with the guy. And they walk all the way out of the city into the countryside. That had to take some time. And all the while, Jesus didn't say anything to him. He's just guiding the guy by the hand. He's blind. And he takes him out, out of the village. And then he has the guy probably sit down. And he spits in the guy's eyes. Now, some of you are saying, this is gross. i got to eat breakfast in an hour. I mean, this is just disgusting, you know. Well, I would submit to you that if the Son of God, the second person of the eternal Trinity, spit in your eyes, you'd never wash your eyes again. You'd be like, oh, my God, Jesus spit in my eyes. This is not a gross thing. Some people say he did this for medicinal purposes. I don't know. I think he did this because it just shows profound touch, profound focus of the Son of God on the blind eyes of this man. That's what I think is going on here. And then he laid his hands on him. And this is where it gets confusing because a lot of Christians don't understand this, is that it didn't take right away. Because Jesus said, do you see anything? And the man said, I see men, but they look like trees. And people think, well, obviously, it just not enough power came out of Jesus to heal this guy. That's not what's happening here. No, Jesus wants to remain focused in the moment on this man. He wants this thing to be prolonged. He wants the moment to last as he's, as he's focusing on this man who for most likely all of his life has been blind. And Jesus wants him never to forget this moment. So go to the next slide. He then touches him again on his eyes. And it was this, this point, his sight was restored. And then he tells him, don't even go into the village. Why? Well, stay in the moment. What I need you to see is that this story shows us the power of focusing in the moment on that which is in front of us. So here's the $10 question, guys. When was the last time you, Cactus Venue Chapel, when was the last time you broke stride in your life and spent some quantity time with someone important to you, now watch this, and simply focused on them? as they told you a story or shared a need. You know what the biggest problem is with Christians today? And I monitor this very closely, and I don't judge you for it because I know I do it too. We are such self-absorbed people that, that you watch when somebody shares with you something about their life, monitor this this week. You will have the innate tendency, because it's in your fallen nature, and we all do this, to immediately turn it to you and make you the center of it. I see it happen all the time. Carl, like you might come up to me after the service and I'll say, hey dude, how was your week? You know, and you'll say, well, you know, I kind of had a tough week. My uh, car broke down on the 101. Now here's what most Christians do. You know, my car broke down one time on the 101. Yeah, you know, that happened. In fact, let me tell you about it. You know, before you go, no, it's like, well, wait, I thought we were talking about me. We're not talking about you. You see, very few people, this is true, ever have somebody, <laughs> in this sad, Focus solely on them for any more than two or three minutes. Could this be why a lot of people like to go to therapy? <laughs> I know when I first went to therapy back in the 90s, one of the reasons I did it is because nobody was giving me an hour of their time. And I mean totally focused on me. And where else can you go in culture but a therapist? And by the way, I'm a fan of counseling. Where else can you go in a society where they're going to focus solely on you and not turn it back on them? Imagine what would happen if you were the kind of person who would discipline your mind and heart to focus solely on the loved ones in front of you. Ask questions. 
dig deep. We're going to talk next week how you listen in such a way to explore the soul of another person. It's, it might sound so simple to you, but I'm telling you, it will rock their world. Here's what will happen. They're going to want to be with you a lot more. They won't even know why. They won't even know what the difference is. All they're going to know is that there's something about being with you <laughs> that makes me feel good that makes me feel loved, that makes me feel listened to, that makes me feel like somebody cares. And all you've applied is the intentionality of focus. This is a true story, kind of funny story. When I was back in counseling in the 90s, I, I went for about two years. It's a true story. Kim and I went for marital counseling, and the counselor we saw saw us two times alone and, and, and then basically said, I don't need to see her anymore. You, I need to see for a long time. <laughs> Which is why I say that, you know, I admit it, it's 90% Jamie, 10% Kim. I just tend to focus on the 10%, but it's, it's 90% me. And, uh, and, and so I saw this guy for two years. And I'd gotten the habit of going every week like some of you do in counseling. And I'd just unload my week on him and tell him everything. Because, again, who else is going to listen, you know? And, and, and I'd unload on the guy. And uh, after about two years, I went in one day. This is a true story. His name was Bill. And, and, and I unloaded on him. And he kind of he was a great counselor. He'd nod his head and empathize and reflect and all that. And, and then he just sort of stopped. And I said, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I just told you all my problems. What do you got for me? And uh, he said, not a lot. He said, because here's what happens. He says, every week you come in for the last two years and you unload on me and all I do is listen and I empathize and I reflect and I ask you some probing questions and you eventually figure out what you need to do because God's on your side and he's in your life. But that's all I ever do. He said, here's the problem with that. He said, you brag about this small group you're in, this men's group that you meet with. You brag about your wife who you're in love with. He said, do you ever share all these things with them? And what do you think I said? No. I said, we're a big boy. You know, we're eating hamburgers and we're talking about the Browns and the Detroit Lions and things like that. And, you know, we talk about church and, you know, with Kim and I, we're talking about the kids. And he said, what would happen if you just started to share some of these things with them? And I said, I'm not sure they'd listen. He said, I think they would. And then he said this to me. This is our last session. I don't want to see you again. I want you just to start sharing your normal everyday stuff with those around you. I started to do that. It wasn't easy because, again, Christians are uncanny. There are plenty of times where I'd share my stuff. These guys had no, ideas what to, no idea what to do with it. Denny, you've been there. They had no idea what to do with it. You know, and, and, and sometimes they just kind of blow right by it. But once in a while, I'd take a risk and I'd say, you know what, I need you guys to stop right now. I need you to listen to me because you might find this rather humdrum and normal, but this is really bothering me. And you know what I found? Is that Christians filled with the Holy Spirit who love God and love those around them, which is the capacity of every Christian, by the way, can do that. And over time, I've developed the kind of relationships, I write about this in my book, I call them safe people. I developed the kind of relationships that actually want to do that even for me as their friend. Not as their pastor, but as their friend. Imagine if all of us had relationships like that, the intentionality of focus. Relationships don't happen on accident, they happen on purpose. And they happen because you invoke the intentionality of time, the intentionality of focus, and we have a minute 45 left. Here's the last thing, so you can fill in the blanks, but this is a great cap, and that is that we then invoke the intentionality of will. Where's that? Ephesians 5, last time. It says, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise. Here's how we get this. Everybody and their brother who has studied the Bible knows that wisdom is defined as practical knowledge. Wisdom in the Proverbs or wisdom in the book of James, which are the wisdom books, are basically taking the knowledge that we have and saying, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to apply this? Where are you going to go with this? And that's why I believe when Ephesians 5 says, to be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, it's saying here, don't just be somebody who has a bunch of heady knowledge about relationships, but act on them. Take the will that God has given you, empowered by his Holy Spirit who lives in you, and do something with the knowledge you now have. And what a great cap to our first message here on relationships. Because as I started off a little while ago, here's what I know. Every one of us here, Cactus Venue Chapel, those of you watching online, every one of us have a relationship or two in our lives right now that needs some intentionality. Amen? It might be a spouse, it might be a grandchild, a child, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody here in church. But we have somebody in our life in which you go, man, I've not been intentional enough. And so in, in line of acting this out, what I'd love you to do is to commit this week to notching that name or two in your head and this week apply the stuff you've learned. Be intentional with your time. Prioritize. Give some quantity to it. If you get a text from a loved one who wants to be with you like I did this week, drive home or wherever they are and be with them. And then give some intentionality of focus. Be present when you are present. Give attention to your walk and see what that does for that relationship. Act upon this. Use your will. You'll be glad you did. This is simple stuff. We need to apply it more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I've never been disappointed by plumbing the depths of your word, word by word, that you give to us. And God, I pray for these dear people here and at our other campuses and venues that, God, as we give cogent thought and heartfelt attention to these things, that, God, you would begin to heal, restore, even maybe just take deeper some of the relationships that we have. We all have them, Lord. We all want them to be bathed in an understanding of your word, empowered by your spirit. So, God, may you take these truths we've learned today and explode them into our relational lives, and we will give you praise and honor for what you do and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.